Hi guys, and welcome to our podcast where we talk about nature in the classical world. Um, today we'll be talking about the treatment of water in antiquity and comparing it to the treatment of water in the modern age. I'm Emma. I'm Kanji. Thank you so much for listening today. We were focused mostly on the use of water throughout history and looking at how humans feel the need to possess and contain nature generally and have so little regard for the impact their actions have. This can be very clearly seen in the use of water. So we're going to start out talking about all of the rivers that are mentioned in the Iliad and how the ancient peoples were using those rivers and how they viewed those rivers as well. And then we're going to go to modern day. And we'll be exploring how in the modern day we use rivers. And what we'll really be talking about is how they use rivers in hydroelectricity and even as water supplies, um, whether it be the ancient aqueducts that fed Rome to the modern day, the modern day use of rivers that feed cities in general, as we've seen in Cape Town, that can, with overconsumption, lead to a water shortage. Okay, so starting way back in the ancient Greek times, an example of this can be seen in the Iliad, which is an epic by Homer. Wow, that's so awesome that you mentioned that because, you know, funnily enough, Emma, I actually wrote my paper on that subject, subject so I, I think I could have a lot to say about that. No way. That's crazy. This is perfect for this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy you brought that up, Emma, because, you know, this is kind of, you know, my field of expertise. I think Professor Cedar could attest to that, seeing as how he gave me a stellar grade on the paper. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Cedar. Um, there's a lot of examples um, about the treatment of water in the Iliad and, and, and in antiquity. Um, Emma, do you have like any idea of like what exactly you want to talk about in there? I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind when I was thinking about water in the Iliad was would be the river Scamander that mm. Achilles battles at a certain point after he's killed so many people that the entire river is dying because... There's a lot of dead bodies. Bad, bad Achilles. <laughs> and um, I just think it's interesting because before they were fighting a war, the river's commander was really intrinsic to the Trojans' everyday life. They washed their clothes there. They used it for trade routes, and they used it to water their crops. So, so it was very necessary, and they worshipped it as a god. They were viewed with a lot of reverence, and rivers were considered to hold dominion over the land that they possessed, quote-unquote, and a lot of gods chose rivers as the form that they would be seen in in the human world. And it's noteworthy, and I think it's kind of interesting, that in the Iliad, there are 29 separate rivers mentioned throughout the 24 books, and this is a sign of the reverence that people felt towards them. And it is interesting as well because the people that are mentioned with the rivers the river is kind of the defining characteristic of the place that they're from. So a lot of times warriors are mentioned and they say they're from like the river Axios, which one of the warriors is described to have descended from. So not only is he from that area, but he's claiming that he's related to the river, giving him godlike powers, which is really important. That's a really great great point, um, talking about how people are really associated with rivers. Um, and we see that especially with, you know, our main uh, protagonist, Achilles, who um, constantly throughout the Iliad, Homer always references how he is from the River Styx. And he has really a deep-rooted connection with um, the River Styx. That's really where Achilles derives his power from when his mother dipped him in as, as, a, as a child. Um, just like us in the modern day, we also see that fresh water and 
Um, water sources are extremely important. They're intrinsic to life. Yet, exactly like in antiquity and in the Iliad, we constantly we constantly um, abuse water resources and have no sense of of moderation or, for that point, respect for um, water resources and fresh water in general. And so essentially, um, a great example is seen in Achilles and the River Scamandros, or Xanathos, as is also known, um, where Achilles is bereaved with pain, anger, and anguish after his friend Patroclus gets murdered in the field of battle. Um, this brings Achilles out of his um, absence from war against Troy, um, and he goes on a rampage killing thousands... Mm, Hundreds. <laughs> um, sounds like a lot when you read it. Um, hundreds of uh, Trojan warriors. And in the midst of killing these warriors and disregarding their um, plead for life, which is supposed to be respected in antiquity, he chops their heads off and throws their bodies inside the river, Scamandros, and essentially clogs up the river. And in the process of clogging the river with corpses... Xanthos struggles to get his water to its main destination, which is the ocean. And in that in that process, I think Xanthos made it very clear to Achilles that, you know, please stop clogging my body with dead bodies, essentially. <laughs> but Achilles didn't listen and engaged in an epic fight with Xanthos, a fight wherein the mighty Achilles almost actually um, died if it wasn't for the help of Athena and if it wasn't for the help of Athena and Poseidon. I think it's interesting and kind of worthy of note as well that the river takes on a human form when it's fighting Achilles. And this kind of relates to the way that Greek culture views water once again, because humans were viewed as the top of the food chain. Gods had human forms and humans were modeled after the gods. And so by giving it the godlike form, the... Greeks are showing that the river is not just something in nature, something to look at, something mm. to use. It's something that they respect that is alive and... Sentient. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think kind of tying the story up all together, I think it's really interesting seeing how the river battles Achilles and almost destroys him. Um, and if really, again, if it wasn't for a divine intervention, the story would have really ended there. Um, and we kind of see parallels to that. Rivers reacting to man's constant abuse and in an like, exact parallel, clogging up and damming by, um, again, hitting back at man, which we see strictly in the modern age through the use of hydroelectric dams. This is this is constantly seen, especially in China, where thousands upon thousands of people have been have lost their homes and been displaced because of flooding of rivers after after the installment of hydroelectric dams. There have been hundreds of deaths. A lot of them haven't even been accounted for. Um, and so we see, again, when man tries to assert a certain amount of dominance over rivers and the natural world, the natural world has a tendency to hit back. It's interesting that you should say that, Kanji, because in Rome, which is a little bit unrelated, but in Rome, the city has had a constant flow of water for centuries. And their use of water has been something that they pride themselves on. They're so excited to show off to the visitors their ability to have water in a place that is typically fairly arid. 
And in ancient times, they were able to implement aqueducts, which were very, very important for city life. These aqueducts that are so widely photographed in Rome are above ground, but actually the majority of the aqueducts were underground. Their construction was an engineering miracle, and many of the principles that the Romans used to build their aqueducts that engineers still use today. And in 312 BC, the aqueducts were pouring in over 186,666 gallons of water per minute into the city. And this is a constant flow of water. And it levels out to be about 1,000 gallons of water per Roman person per day. To put this in perspective, today we use a lot of water, but comparatively we only use about 80 to 100 gallons of water per person in this first world countries. And this is mostly toilet flushing, showers, and baths. But some of this water is not actually drinkable water. Whereas in Roman times, all of the water that the aqueducts were bringing into the city was drinkable. They weren't necessarily using it for drinking. They used it to supply their public baths. They used it to supply their fountains and all sorts of other extravagant measures that didn't involve the consumption of water. And the fountains are kind of a particularly interesting situation because they were flowing constantly with this water that was coming in, but they didn't really serve a purpose other than demonstrating their power over nature. And they were clearly an exploitation of the resources that they had been granted, but they were a demonstration of the wealth that the city of Rome had as a whole that they wanted other cultures to see. And it's interesting you bring that up, Emma, because, you know, the overconsumption of water, naturally, the its product leads to a drought. And we see that, again, today, comparing that to ancient Rome and the modern age, overconsumption of water is a serious problem. Right now, we see, if we look at Cape Town in South Africa, a huge um, drought occurring in Cape Town right now. They're looking at potentially zero water, and that's what they're calling day zero. And right now, the, the date is constantly being pushed back and forth, but the initial date was July 9th. Um, but essentially what's going on is that they're not going to have enough water. And right now, they're, the government of Cape Town is instituting water rationing. That water rationing essentially leads to about 13 gallons of water per person per day. And so right now, people are basically stockpiling water. That's really only a short-term kind of solution. And as we look at the situation right now, the dam that supplied Cape Town with 50% of its water, and this is where the main problem is actually coming from, is now only at uh, 10% capacity. And if you look at aerial photos of this dam, it's really quite frightening, and you can't help but think what these people are going to do. And, you know, this crisis has really brought Cape Town and the water crisis to the world stage, where everyone is really talking about it. Everyone's really concerned as to what's going on. And really, more than anything else, people are looking at this situation and thinking, if this can happen there, can it happen where I'm living? Can it happen in California, where there's already a crisis? Um, so this problem really resonates with not just Cape Town, but the entire population. And to bring this back a little bit to the ancient world, Rome today is actually facing a similar water crisis, not to the same extent, but it's definitely a concern. They're facing water rationing where people are having to ration their drinking water for eight hours of the day, every day. And a lot of this issue is because much of Rome's water is imported through their aqueducts from other areas of the country, and they've been using Lake Bracciano for centuries. Currently, the water levels are so low that 
this needs to stop and the province where the lake is has made that very clear and so Rome is trying to figure out a way to transition away from these regions that also need the water. And so their government is finally making a change now that it's reached a crisis level and they are fixing old leaky pipes which wastes hundreds of gallons of water every day and they're closing 2,500 of their Nassoni, Nassoni, and the Nassoni are basically water fountains, but unlike typical water fountains that we see here in the United States, they constantly flow into drains, and this is drinkable water that just flows out of the Nassoni and into the ground if no one's drinking it, which most of the time people aren't. And another area where drinkable water is being wasted is the fountains that have been flowing for centuries and centuries. It's very difficult because culturally the city doesn't want to relinquish the symbol of their power over nature, but environmentally and realistically they really need the water that these fountains are wasting, so they're starting to close some of them as well. And in conjunction with Rome, the Vatican is trying to demonstrate their support for water rationing and so they've been closing some of their most symbolic fountains and these fountains are actually symbolically being closed as well because most of them are run on recycled water so it's not a constant stream of water that's being wasted but the thing that I thought was the most kind of illuminating about humans view on water from this particular crisis is where the Vatican spokesperson was talking about how they were making the sacrifice to close down some of their fountains to show support for the Roman rationing. And I thought this was a very interesting way to phrase this because sacrifice implies a certain amount of entitlement to whatever you're giving up. And I think that that's the biggest issue here is that humans feel that they're entitled to this water but water is a very finite resource, and we need to use it accordingly. And I think we need to learn to talk about it accordingly. That's a great point, Emma, because as we've seen and as we've observed throughout this podcast, we've realized that humans have had a chokehold over nature and the natural world ever since antiquity up until the modern day, whether it be with looking at Achilles and his battle with the river Xanathos or the Roman aqueducts feeding Rome with an endless supply of water. Up until today with hydroelectricity and kind of Cape Town, we see that humans view water and rivers as a right rather than a privilege. And it's a serious discussion that needs to be had because if we keep treating our natural resources this way, the repercussions catastrophic.